All right. <clears throat> there we go. <laughs> Doesn't have his glasses on. <laughs> Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And um, <clears throat> this is... <clears throat> This is going to be maybe redundant for some when I give you the topic of what we're preaching on, or what I'm preaching on tonight, Luke chapter 2. And, um, you know, we we often talk about the shepherds as being a very uncommon part of the Christmas story, one that's not really delved into that much. And um, I taught on it in Sunday school on Sunday morning. I told the teenagers then that I would probably share about it on Wednesday night. And the pastor got up a Sunday night, and he preached on the shepherds. And I'm like, oh, bummer, should I preach on the shepherds now. And I already had a message that the Lord had given me, and, and the Lord said, hey, go for it. This is what I have for you. And so um, we're going to look at the shepherds tonight, kind of a, a, little, a little different viewpoint, I think. And um, the shepherds, they're such a prominent, they, they play such a prominent role in the story of the nativity, uh, of the birth of Christ. And yet, in all reality, we know so little about them. Who were the shepherds? Why did the Lord reveal himself to them? I mean, they were the first ones that knew outside of the inner circle of the family. Why did he make it such a big deal in the way he revealed it to them? I mean, he sent a multitude of the heavenly host to them. He didn't do that with anyone else. Why were they looked down upon in their time? You know, we often hear how the shepherds were so looked down upon. And what, why is that? Why is the, the, what is the significance of their role in, in the story of Christ's birth? And uh, I just want to look at a few of these things and then... Identify a, a cycle of growth is what I've called it, okay, that we can learn from the, the, the shepherds here. But, you know, the, the shepherds were uh, people that were looked down upon greatly. It was not always the case, though. Um, if you look earlier in Scripture, you go back um, to the beginning, obviously shepherds got a rough start. Abel was, <laughs> was a shepherd, and, and he was the first murder in the Bible. And so shepherds had a rough start of things. But shepherding was not always a, a lowly occupation. It was something for, it was a noble occupation. And you look during the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's what they did. They shepherd flocks. And uh, it was a very a very viable means of producing an income and even a, a way to become wealthy. And, um, and we, we see that all throughout Scripture. It, that begins to change, however, when uh, Jacob, later called Israel, migrates into Egypt, okay? And uh, when, when he migrates... Uh, brings his family there during the famine when Joseph, you recall the story of Joseph and, and, uh, and how he brought his father and his family into Egypt. And uh, the Egyptians had a very low esteem, very low opinion of shepherds. For, for an Egyptian, it, uh, being a shepherd was a horrible thing. And they viewed flocks as, man, this is ridiculous. Uh, you, they, they were very big into agriculture. They were farmers. They, they raised crops. And so if you brought in something that was a, a herd of sheep and was grazing all over their lands, that was a big no-no for them. Even an Egyptian went so far as to say that a, a sheep was even, wasn't even good for food or even to sacrifice to a god. It was, it was that worthless to them. You can imagine after the children of Israel spending 400 years in Egypt that their opinion and their view of being a shepherd changed. We know that to be true because when the children of Israel finally were brought out of bondage under the, the leadership of Moses, whereas they went in as 12 tribes, basically all being shepherds, they came out as only two tribes, Reuben and Gad. Reuben and Gad were the, really the only ones who came out of Egypt as shepherds. 
And, uh, and they, they even ask, if you look in Numbers uh, 32, I believe it was, where they say, give us the portion of our inheritance this side of Jordan. They said, this is a good place for us to graze our flocks. And um, they said, let's have this here. And uh, we don't care about going in further because we have substantial livestock. And so we see that as they come out of, uh, as they come out of Egypt, the children of Israel, the Israelites, start to have a, a dim view of, of being a shepherd. You know, they come out of Egypt, a place where you can farm and you can go home at night and sleep in your bed. You know, you don't have to be out wandering the countryside trying to find food and, and trying to protect your, your livestock from the bears and from the lions. You know, a, a much safer and more comfortable position. And so they come out not really caring for the shepherd. It, it's, not, it's not the lowest of low position, but it's more reserved for the second-class citizen now, uh, the younger. We see that in the story of David. The youngest son was taking care of the flock. And, and even through the story of David and Goliath, you see that uh, David is oh, you know, maligned and mocked because of his position. Oh, don't you have some sheep to take care of? It, it, was, a, it was a lowly position now. When David became king, according to historians uh, from some different things I read, it kind of bolstered the position of being a shepherd, the shepherd to the king. And you can see how that would happen in a society, you know, the, 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 throb, the, the heartthrob story of the David the shepherd boy becoming David the king. And, um, you know, how that viewpoint could come into play. But overall, it was still a lowly position. And as time progressed, it became a, a more low and a more low position. It was... Something that became to, uh, was looked upon as a horrible, uh, became a horrible thing. The, the religious rulers of the day even went so far as to um, outlaw being a shepherd inside of the, the, the city areas. You couldn't, you couldn't graze your sheep around the towns. You had to take them out into the deserted areas. And, um, and according to the Mishnah, which is uh, the written record of like the oral law, the Jewish law, here, here's what the, the religious leaders of the day said about the shepherds. A shepherd was incompetent. All right? A shepherd was incompetent. A shepherd um, was so lowly that no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who had fallen into a pit. You didn't, you didn't even have to help them out of a hole. You, you're walking down the side of the road. Hey, how's it going? You know? They fall off a cliff trying to find a, a, a lost sheep. They were disposable. They, this is how lowly a shepherd was. A shepherd was, was not allowed to fill a judicial office or be admitted into court as a witness. Their word was worthless. They couldn't even be a witness in court. You were not allowed to buy, according to the uh, Jewish law, you were not to bu- allowed to buy wool or milk or even a baby sheep, a kid, from a shepherd because they operated under the assumption that it was stolen. This is where the shepherds are coming from. You think about these shepherds, who they are. These are, these are people that are in the, in the lowest of low. In that day, they had a caste system. The religious leaders of the day, they had a caste system. They categorized people. All right, didn't it start with communism back in the day? It started back in the Bible with these religious leaders, these Pharisees. They put them into this caste system. And you know, the, the caste system put the shepherds in the same line with the tax collectors and the dung sweepers, the people who clean up the dung throughout the city. That's the level that these shepherds were on. You know what their official title in the caste system was? When I saw this, it was amazing to me. Their title in the caste system was sinner, a technical term for a class of despised people. 
a sinner. And that, I, saw, I read that and I was like, man, this is so awesome. Here it is, the Lord revealing himself to sinners. The story of the nativity, sending. And that's what the whole purpose was about. We know according to Matthew chapter 2, verse 17, he says, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I am come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we see how the Lord comes in, and he reveals himself through the angels, the birth of Christ. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. These shepherds, are, they're an important part of this story. They're, they're really us in the story, the sinner. The picture of, of Christ's word being revealed to the sinner, the common man, the nobodies. They had nothing to give in return for the great news they heard that day. I mean, for goodness sake, their word was worthless to most people, so they couldn't even repeat the story. You see that later on. It says, and all of them wondered the things that were told them by the shepherds. <laughs> Can we believe that? As I was reading through this story, and this, the Christmas story is one that's so familiar to me, for the most part, I can almost quote the whole Luke chapter 2. And, and I'm always afraid when I get to that point in a passage because I'm going to miss something that the Lord has for me. And I was rereading and rereading and reading, and, and the Lord revealed some things to me, and, and some things that I think can be a blessing to all of us, can help us in our, our walk with the Lord. And so I would like to draw our attention this evening to the shepherds, and a cycle for spiritual growth. If I had to title it anything, I would say the shepherds, a cycle for spiritual growth. The first thing that I'd like us to notice this evening, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2, if you're not there already. Luke chapter 2, and, um, and verse number 9. Before we go any further, let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. Father, Lord, I just pray this evening now, Lord, that you would Help me to deliver clearly the message that you've given to me, Lord. I pray that our hearts and our ears would be open, Lord, that we wouldn't be distracted or um, uh, out of mind with things that are coming next, Lord, or what we're going to eat for dinner or the show that's being recorded, Lord, but that our attention would be fully set on your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. We need you. We need your word. We need to be challenged. We need to grow, Lord. And, and here in this story of the shepherds, we see such a, an awesome illustration of how your word was revealed to us, Lord. And now as we look further, Lord, a cycle that we can learn from the shepherds on how we can grow. Lord, speak to us this evening. Lord, just use me as a tool. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 9 through 14. The first step, and if you would kind of picture this as a wheel. All right, this cycle pictured as a wheel in your mind as we're talking about these things. Uh, I would have put it up on the screen, but it's a little hard to preach up here and be blinded at the same time, all right? And so um, just picture it as a wheel in your mind. And the first spoke of that wheel, the cycle of growth, is revelation. Revelation. Look at with me in Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. Luke chapter 2, verse 9 through 14, it says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Here in this short passage, we see an awesome testimony given by the angels to the shepherds. A revelation of God's will for what's to come. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And as I was looking at this, I see this is the first step for us to grow in our spiritual lives. The revelation of God's word to us. You see, God has a message for us. He has something that he wants us to hear. He has something that he wants us to see. And we see these angels as messengers from God. Come to the shepherds and deliver the message to them. I bring good tidings of great joy for all people. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And it's an important message. It's, a, it's the message of salvation to these people. That, hey, although you're a sinner and although that you deserve hell, there is come a way for you now. There's a way for you to escape. And the Lord, He wants to reveal His Word to us. It's the first step. When we're to grow, He speaks to us. He delivers a message to us. God has a message for me and He has a message for you. He has a message tonight for us. Something He wants us to hear, even now. He has a message for you tomorrow morning when you open up the Word of God. Something He wants to say to you. That God, Almighty God, wants to say to me, When I open my Bible, it's not the words of God. It's God's words. His words to me. It's not just a generic thing. It's not black and red text on a white page. It's the words of God, and it's for me. He wants to speak to us. He wants to say something to you, something specific. Something, a message just for you. The message wasn't for everybody on the hillside that night. The message wasn't for the whole town of Bethlehem. The message were for the shepherds who were abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. It was a very specific message to a very specific audience. And the Lord has a very specific message that he wants to give to you. A very specific audience. You know, as I look through this story and the revelation of God's will to all these different people throughout the story, you see that God's, God's word is not always revealed through the same source. Now, we know that the source is God's word, okay? But God doesn't always use the same vessel. You see through the story of of Christ's birth that um, he appeared to people in in dreams and and angels and through visions. When he spoke to Zechariah and when he spoke to Joseph, when he spoke to Mary, he spoke to them in different ways. And you look throughout Scripture, God spoke in many different ways to people. You look at the, the burning bush or the talking donkey. You look at the prophets, uh, the missionaries that traveled around to the different churches. Uh, You look at all the different preachers in the Word of God. God used different things to get His message across. Sometimes you're going to be sitting in a service, and and hopefully every time you're sitting in a service, uh, the Word of God is going to come and you're going to hear that message that's for you. It may not even be what the preacher was talking about, but all of a sudden, the Lord put two uh, two and two together in your mind, and here comes four. And you're like, oh, that's for me. And it's the first step in our cycle of growth. Does the Lord speak to you? Is the question then. Does the Lord speak to you? What has the Lord said to you recently? Let's, let's answer some questions, okay? Let's be proactive about this. It's not just a guy up here running his mouth. Let's, let's think through this here, all right? We have a, a, the Lord wants to give us a message. So when is the last time he spoke to me? When is the last time that he revealed himself to me? What is he asking me to do more of and what is he asking me to stop doing? What are areas of growth that he's revealed that I've been holding back on? Have we turned down the volume of the voice of the Lord in our lives? Where he wants to say something to us and, and that's not really what we want to hear. 
So we turn it down. Which brings us to step number two in our cycle. We see the revelation. The second rung, the second spoke in the, the cycle of growth is a response. The Lord is going to reveal himself, and we see that he revealed himself to the shepherds. And then secondly, it requires a response. The response of the shepherds is found in Luke chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, where it says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Let's just think about what we just read. Put yourself in their shoes. Here's the shepherds. Sitting out in a field. The only thing that's lighting it is the stars from the sky or maybe a campfire. Then suddenly. Picture yourself, you're working the third shift at the Goodyear Tire Factory. You're punching buttons and the tires are coming out. It's just mundane. You do this every day. It's boring. You're kind of half in, half out. You know, the lights are on. Nobody's home. You're just kind of going through your job. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears to you and starts talking. Shepherds, I bring you good tidings and great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And you're like, is this really happening? as you're standing at your factory position or in your cubicle at work. And then all of a sudden, suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God on the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Now you're like, wait a second, was there something in my drink I just had a moment ago? I mean, put yourself in the position of these shepherds. They're out in a field and, and their <laughs> the angel appears to them. And then a choir of angels appear to them. And the Lord was revealing himself to them. And I'm sure among the shepherds that were there that evening, there were descending views about what the Lord was trying to say for them. I have no doubt about it, because there always is. We're humankind. I'm sure one of the shepherds, you know, might have responded with, well, we have a responsibility. We can't go to see this thing. We've we got to take care of our sheep. We've got to take care of our flock. I have a job. Maybe some were fearful, but what, what if? What, what's going to happen? What, what if we go and not, what, what that fear that comes over us when the Lord reveals himself to us and asks us to do something? Maybe there was the doubters. This, this isn't really true. This isn't happening. We just imagine that. These angels that appear to us, and, and, and isn't that true what happens? The Lord reveals himself to us and we doubt his word. We question it. Is this really true? Does he really want that from me? Does he know who he's talking to? Ask Moses. But, 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 but. I can't talk. The excuses. And I'm sure the shepherds, some of them had some excuses. They, they came across some things in their mind. And, and this here, right here, this point right now, is a pivotal point in our, growth, our cycle of growth. Because it's the point that depends on us. The Lord can speak to you over and over and over and over again and ask something of you, ask something for you to do something, but how are we going to respond? You may have some doubts at first. You may be unsure about what he's asking or what he's telling you to do. You may not understand why he's telling you to do that thing. But how are you going to respond? We see the shepherds responded in faith. Let's go see this thing which has come to pass. And they went in haste. 
They hurried right along. They didn't sit around waiting and doubting. Oh, well, well, maybe we'll just wait a couple days and see if we hear any word back. No, they went right out in faith in what God had told them to do. Even though it wasn't a comfortable thing, maybe. Middle of the night. They had to get up. They had to leave their sheep. You know, we often, often come up with excuses. The Lord often speaks to us, but we, we want to just turn the volume down. We don't want to respond. You see, oftentimes the Lord says, learn of me. I want you to learn of me. That's what his word says, right? Learn of me. But we say, but I want to watch TV. He says, be a good steward. But we say, but I want. He says, go ye therefore. You say, but I can't talk. He says, give me your life. But we say, but I have plans. He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But we say, I just went Sunday. He says, love your wife. And we say, but she's not respecting me. He says, submit to your husband. But we say, he's not loving me. He says, obey your parents, but then we say, they don't understand. He says, speak the truth, be honest. But we say, I have to protect my self-image. He says, have faith. But we say, I can figure this out. A lot of times the Lord speaks to us and he has something he wants to say. He has something he wants us to hear and he wants us to respond. But a lot of times what we do is excuse it. I went to college with big freshman class when my cl- my class graduated from bible college i think there were 17 or 18 i think there were 60 something in my freshman class first small bible college was pretty big by the end of it they all had a different direction the lord didn't really mean uh, he wasn't speaking to me like that then or he, he, i misunderstood and got distracted, for the most part, by jobs and earning money. The Lord had placed a calling on their life, but they said, well, well this is the direction, and they got sidetracked. And it does to, that doesn't just happen to college students. It happens to us every single day when the Lord wants us to do something, and he, he points something out in our lives and say, I want you to grow here. I want you to learn. I want you to be this. I want you to, I want you to be a witness. And he speaks, and he points specific things out to us. But we don't respond in faith. Our responses are fleshly, they're carnal. A lot of times, even we as Christians, we respond with our desires rather than placing our faith and trust in God. This is not an unfamiliar sight in the Word of God. It's not an unfamiliar circumstance. In Luke chapter 14, it says, He said to them, A certain man made a great supper and, and bade many and sent his servants to at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly unto the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and fell them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. 
Here we see a perfect illustration of what happens when we have our own goals and things in mind. The Lord in this passage is inviting people to come and dine, to accept Christ, to eat at His table, to be a part of His family. And here these people are turning away. Oh, I've got, I've got this. I've got a yoke of oxen. I've got to go see if they really can pull the plow. I've just married a wife. We're on a honeymoon. We don't have time to serve God right now. It's not the response that the Lord of the Supper was looking for. How often do we respond the way that the Lord is looking for us to respond rather than how we feel we should respond? How, how we want to respond? Because if we respond the way that the Lord, when the Lord convicts us, a lot of times we're going to turn it off because none of us like to be told that we're wrong. None of us like to be told that we're doing something wrong. None of us like to feel like we're inferior, that there's a problem that needs to be corrected. We don't. And so whenever we're convicted, we'll just try to turn it off if we respond in our flesh. How do we respond? For many, many Christians, this is why they've been saved for 5, 10, 20, 30, 50 years and are no more mature in Christ than the day that they got saved. Because the Lord has spoken over and over and over and over again, but there's never been a response. There's never been a response in their life. Yes, Lord. There's not the response of, of, of Samuel. Yes, Lord, the servant heareth. Here, here am I, Lord. Send me. Whatever you, whatever you want. You can have me. You can have all of me. You can do whatever you want with me. Okay, I'll stop doing that. Okay, I'll separate myself. I know it's going to be difficult, but I'm going to stand for you. All the things that the Lord calls us to do, we respond in our own flesh. You know, when we get saved, in order to be saved, we have to respond in humility. It's required. The Lord convicts us of our sin and tells us that we're a sinner. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And we receive that gift. But then he turns around and, and puts some other revelations to us. He reveals some other things to us through the preaching of his word and through the reading of his word and through a brother or a sister in Christ. And he reveals something to us that somebody comes along that wants to encourage us in the Lord. And you know what we do? We turn it off. We don't want to hear it. We excuse it away, why we shouldn't, why we can't. Even this evening, tonight, a response is going to be required of you. The Lord is revealing his word. And he's going to want a response from me and from you. And for the most part, a lot of times, we will sit in our pew and sit there and white-knuckle out the altar call. Because we don't want to have to respond. We don't want to have to come down to the front of this building. Not that this represents anything specific, except that it represents me humbling myself before the Lord. This is not an altar like Abraham made to offer up a sacrifice. But it is an altar as where we come and we kneel ourselves and say, Lord, you can have all of me. Whatever you want, I'm listening, I hear, and I am going to respond in faith. Which brings us to the next spoke. We have revelation. We have response. 
instinctively from response when it's in faith, it will require action. It will require action. And we see that in the shepherds. In Luke chapter 2, verse 17. It says, And when they had seen it, okay? So they heard the, the Lord, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a shepherd, uh, Unto you is, is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The, the shepherds hear the revealed word of God. They go. They respond in faith. And here we come now. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered to those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. You see, uh, this is, for me, what is so exciting about a growing. Remember, we're growing in our walk with God. He reveals his word to us and we respond in faith. The next thing that's going to happen is redistribution. We're going to have something that we're going to have to say. We're going to have something to say. Something good to say. Some good news to redistribute. And here the angels received good news. They received the words of God. It was revealed to them. They responded. And now they're going out and they're redistributing. They're going back out and they're talking about the things that they saw. They made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. You see, as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, as He reveals His words to you, and as you respond in faith and continue to grow, you're not going to be able to help but talk about the good things that God's doing in your life. You're going to see the good things that are happening, all the things that God is doing, and you're going to have to talk about them. You're going to go out, and, and, and it's not going to be when I get on Facebook and I see all my brothers and sisters in Christ bemoaning their days and their hardships and their difficulties and, and how difficult life is. And, and it, No. It's going to be God is good. See what God has done in my life. See how he's performed in a great way. See how he's answered my prayer and how he's provided for my need. You're going to have a testimony. We see it and pastor talks about it often. And when we emphasize and spend more time out knocking doors, the natural result of that is a testimony. The more you get out there and you knock on the door and you share the gospel, the more you do it, you hit it hard, you start hitting a thousand doors in three weeks, you're going to have something to talk about. And as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, as His word is revealed and you respond with faith, in faith, you're going to have something to talk about. And it's not going to be how hard your day was. It's not going to be about the difficulty. It's not going to be about the heartache. It's going to be about the goodness of God. The reason that people never see God's hand at work or provision, maybe that you're not seeing God's provision or protection in your life, is maybe because you've stopped growing. Maybe because you're not in that right relationship with the Lord that you ought to be. The Lord can withhold his hand. And he puts it back down when you're in that right relationship. So, When's the last time that you saw God work in your life? What good testimony do you have to share of what God's done for you recently? How has he provided for that need? How have you seen his protection? We ought to be able to recall. I can think even just off the top of my head, going home just a a week ago, two weeks ago for Thanksgiving, a, a car lost control right in front of me. I literally ran over its bumper. It was dragging as it came across three lanes of traffic doing 75 miles an hour. I literally ran over his bumper. 
that he was dragging as he was spinning across the interstate. But the Lord protected. Yet my family's safe. Do you see the protection? Do you see the hand of God in your life? It's awesome when we as a church unite in prayer and we see God, man, one thing after the next, after the next. Isn't that awesome? An offer on a property a week before Christmas? Really? Does he work in your life? Do you have a testimony to share? These shepherds, they had heard God's message and responded in faith and action. And afterwards, they made known abroad the things that they had seen, the way that they saw God work. You know, the shepherds could have made excuses about why not to talk about it. You know, we have excuses. Well, I just don't talk about that at work because I'm shy, or I don't, you know, I don't want to say, I don't, I'm afraid about what they'll think, and I don't want to get on their bad side. I want to be a good witness. And we come up with reasons why we don't talk about God, don't we? Why we don't talk about, maybe there are good things happening in our life, but, you know, we don't want to talk about them too much because we don't want to, we don't want to, tarnish, you know, our effectiveness. The shepherds could have easily, very easily, said, well, I'm not even a valid witness in a courtroom. What are people going to believe about me? I, I can't, I, I'm, as, I'm the same as a tax collector and somebody who cleans up the dung throughout the city. What are they going to believe? They're not going to listen to me. I'm a shepherd. I'm stinky. I'm smelly. I've been abiding out in the fields. Carrying sheep around that are injured. I'm nobody. Why are they going to listen to me? It's not so much you. Get your big head out of the way. It's God that they need to hear. It's his testimony. It's his gospel. You go throughout the week. People don't need to hear about you. They need to hear about God. They need to hear about how they can be saved and, 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 and the blessings that come from a relationship with the Lord and that you can only have joy in your life because of a relationship with God. You know, yes, just like they did to the shepherds, some people are going to look at you and wonder at all the things you tell them. You know, look at you. It's going to happen. But it didn't stop the shepherds. It shouldn't stop us. And it's part of our cycle of, of growth. The Lord reveals something to us, and, and we respond. And then we begin to talk about it. We redistribute the things, the good things that he's doing in our life. That brings us to the last rung on our wheel, is the result. The results. What are the results? If this is my cycle of growth, what are the results? Well, Luke chapter 2, verse 20. Tell me how the shepherds felt. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them, as it was told unto them. The Christian life when it's a growing life, is a life full of joy. It's a life of joy. Not to say that there's not difficulty, but it is a life of lasting joy. But you have to be growing. It's dependent upon continuing the cycle. You have to be growing because when you grow, it produces the fruits of the Spirit. And according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and, say it out loud, joy. But I have to have fruit in my life, and I'm only going to have fruit when I'm growing. And so the results 
of growing in the Lord is fruit. And that fruit is joy. Our, news our newspapers, our news feeds, our radio, the internet, the TV, it's filled with the social elite, the wealthiest people of today, wrecking and ruining, destroying their lives. Looking for what? Joy. Is not this affair over here? Tiger Woods, one of the greatest athletes of all times, looked up to by so many, one of the wealthiest athletes of all times. Everything you could imagine wrecked his marriage, wrecked a huge part of his career, wrecked uh, a, a huge part of his wealth and income because he was looking for joy in the wrong place. And it wrecked his home. And there's Christians who are looking for joy on the internet, who are looking for joy in a job, who are looking for joy in materialistic things, who are not growing in a relationship with the Lord, and it's ruining your life. You're miserable. You're unhappy. You see no purpose for continuing on. You question why. Is there joy in your life tonight? I tell you, there's only going to be joy in your life if you're growing. If you're growing. I see it all the time. Pastor falling into sin, living for a momentary joy. A church member splitting a church for momentary joy. A husband wrecking a home for momentary joy. A marriage under stress because of finances, because of momentary joy and a purchase happens over and over and over again that joy can only come from a growing relationship with the Lord and here we see the shepherds response we see the results they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard as it was told unto them you can't tell me that's not joy you can't tell me those shepherds didn't go back up into that misery of living on the side of a hill with their spirits lifted with the joy of the Lord in their hearts, with strength to get through the next day, to get past the difficulty, to get over the heartache. And maybe you have some difficulty in your life right now. Maybe there's some heartache in your life right now. Maybe there's something you just don't understand. Keep growing in your walk with God. Spend more time with Him. Respond when He speaks to you. You'll begin to talk about how good He is and you won't be able to help but feel the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, where are we at in the cycle in our lives then? Where are we at? How is the cycle going in your life? Do we stop at revelation, the revelation of God's word to us? Is that where it ends? Do we hear it and respond? The thing about once we've responded, the next two rungs kind of take over from there. Once you respond in faith, then you start to want to talk about it. And the joy's there. It all depends on us. How are we 
that pivotal point. What are we going to do in that pivotal point where the Lord says, okay, I've spoken to you about something, now respond. What has the Lord spoken to you about tonight? How are you going to respond? We didn't necessarily hit on anything specific as far as things in our lives, but the Lord will speak to you. He'll point something out. If you want to hear his revelation, if you want to hear his word, let's go ahead and stand this evening if you would. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As Brother Josh heads to the piano now, we're just going to go ahead and open up the altar. The invitation is open. How are we going to respond this evening? God's word revealed, and then the Christian's response.